and welcome to episode 392 of Retro Encounter, RPG Fans Weekly Podcast of Many Topics. I'm Mike Solosi, and, you know, I, I think maybe we, uh, for October last month, we picked a game that was sort of too cute and fun, or maybe we were just dressing up as princesses for Halloween, Wes and I, but the game that we're playing for November is a much more scary, much more Halloween-y kind of game. We're playing Bloodborne for Retro Encounter. It is our first time playing a From Software game for the podcast. Um, we are going to talk about uh, Souls Likes in general a lot this episode, I am certain. But who am I going to speak about Souls Likes with? They are Zach Wilkerson. Hello. Alex Franischek. Hello. And Gio Castillo. Hello. Gio, Alex, Zach. We're uh, getting good this month. The, uh, um, uh, From Software and their Souls games um, have basically been, I, I would say, one of the biggest gaming trends or one of the biggest gaming um, s- sort of newcomers of the 2010s. Uh, w- when we think of Souls-likes or even Souls-borns, um, we, we think of FromSoft's uh, suite of, of action RPGs, starting in 2009 with Demon Souls, then with uh, Dark Souls 1, 2, and 3, Bloodborne, which, which is a PS4 game, which we're playing now, as well as uh, Sekiro and Elden Ring, which was one of the biggest games of 2022. Um, they're sort of collectively called Souls-likes, um, an action RPG that balances risk and exploration and uh, with, with combat and a lot of heavy RPG elements. Um, like in a way it it's going back into like the the like the harshest D game you've ever heard of but uh, and also there are also single character games that some people argue aren't rpgs those people are wrong but um we, we've been waffling about doing a Soulsborne game of some feather or another for retro encounter for at least a couple of years Rob Steinman, former host of Random Encounter, has been bugging me to play them for as long as I've known him, which is 2014-2015 range. And I finally played a Souls-like game for the first time last year when I played the PS5 remake of Demon's Souls and thought it was awesome and was uh, trying to figure out the right one to play next and landed on Bloodborne, which I had on the, uh, I I think it's the PS4 games for PS5 uh suite or something that basically if you for, uh, ps5 owners got like 20 ps4 games for free for for uh for a period of about a year um and if you have if you have ps plus and still subscribe you had those for free so basically i've had a copy of bloodborne sitting around on my machine on my machine for at least two years but decided to finally play it for the podcast this month uh but that's enough monologuing for me um let's talk about our basic uh backstories with Souls Likes in general and Bloodborne in particular, uh, starting with you, Geo. Yeah, um, I started with Demon Souls on the PS3. Like, um, actually, I, I I got into the Souls a bit late too. Like, um, in 2018, like when the PS3 servers were shutting down, like I I decided like I wanted to experience the original game, in, you know, in in its purest form like with other people interact like you can interact with other people fight other people and uh and so like i i got into demon souls around that time and uh i had a blast like i i was totally i was like kicking myself for for you know waiting so long to play the souls games and it started from there like actually well i went straight to bloodborne after demon souls and then i looped back around the dark souls and then dark souls 2 dark souls 3 and then 
I never got around to finishing Sekiro because Sekiro is extremely hard, <laughs> and uh, I just don't. I just don't have the time. Like I, I don't have the time to like really invest in it right now. Same goes for Elden Ring, which I got pretty far in actually, but I just don't. Uh, you know, if other games, other things in life kind of get gone in the way. But yeah, I consider myself a pretty big Souls fan, and uh, uh, actually, uh, Bloodborne's my favorite one. And I think it might oh. be my favorite game of all time, actually. Wow. Okay. I'm glad we have you on this episode then. Um, <laughs> yeah. I actually did talk to Rob Steinman and he was considering joining this episode, but he had a lot of uh, scheduling conflicts in November and wasn't able to do it. Um, I, I, I should back up a little bit. Uh, you, you mentioned about kicking yourself for not getting into these games sooner. Um, I'm, I'm of a similar mindset because, again, I had a weird apprehension about the Souls-like genre for years and years i i owned a copy of demon souls for the ps3 um I, and i did try to play it in i'm not sure the 2012 to 2014 range somewhere in there on my ps3 uh and i i didn't um i, I kept dying in the first level and basically gave up on it super super early i i did not make a sincere effort to try and finish that thing i i, I just sort of decided souls wasn't for me um but then when i i really tried to play demon souls uh last year i thought it was awesome and uh, i played through it all of it with a faith build blessed mirrored and hammer um uh, for the most part and I-, I think in the course of about a month i bought the entire dark souls trilogy i already had bloodborne on my ps4 and i also got a copy of of elden ring the, the moment it went on sale sometime in late 2022 but Zach, um, I, I th- maybe even more intensely than me, actually, definitely, <laughs> definitely more intensely than me. You had you uh, played a Souls game for the first time quite recently and was so enchanted that you like that you also had a purchasing and playing spree immediately following. You, you want to talk a little bit about that? Yeah. So, um, you know, my the the origins of my Soulsborne sort of journey, I guess, are are similar to yours. I the first Soulsborne game I ever tried to play actually was Bloodborne. And I got to Yarnum and I kept getting ganked by these enemies. And I didn't even, and it turns out, I didn't even get close to the first boss. And it doesn't even seem like it would be that hard. And I spent like an hour and a half on it. And I was just like, eh, I'm not good enough at this. Then the next sort of Souls-like game I played was actually Code Vein at E3 2019. <laughs> and I was supposed to be writing a preview for it. And I couldn't even get to the first boss in the demo in the booth at, at Bamco. And I was like, okay, well, that sucks. <laughs> and then the hype around Elden Ring happened. And I was like, oh, I got to buy this. And then there was this guy standing out of the opening area. And I was like, I'm going to kill him. I, I It turns out I probably wasn't supposed to kill him yet. Um, but I, I kept trying and I kept losing. And so like, I, I had sort of like been bashing my head against it for years. And then um, at the beginning of this year, uh, even though it's not really a Souls game, um, I, I played through Hollow Knight and I, I did everything in that game, like the most intense challenges. And I just sort of became like enchanted with a challenge. And so when the opportunity to play Bloodborne came up, I took it and I um, still struggled at the beginning, but I kept pushing, kept pushing. And oh my goodness, I I fell in love with the game. I platinumed it like a month ago and I started playing it like a month and a half ago because I was worried like, hey, am I still going to suck at this? (laughs) Um, And and I figured it out and I played it. And then I went on to basically do everything in Sekiro since then, uh, which is a very hard game and worth beating, though. It's uh, mastering that game is just 
it, it's something special. I, I think uh, counter timing in every other game will seem child like child's play after you beat Sekiro. That that's a that's a fair point. Although it's more it's more fair in terms of parrying, um, and it's more consistent. Um, I don't know. I, I don't want to go down the Sekiro rabbit hole, but it's real good, even though we don't cover it. Um, and then literally forty five minutes before we recorded, <laughs> I, I beat the final boss in Dark Souls one. <laughs> um, after having done all the DLC and stuff like that. And I started, I started a save file on Demon Souls. So I was a newbie coming into this podcast and now I am on my fourth from game. Um, so there we go. You've beaten <laughs> roughly four from games in five weeks, which is, uh, w- w- I, which is crazy. And, and I am I've also like been busy at work. So like, I, I don't know what that says about me. So yeah, but that's where we are. <laughs> have you been sleeping? In, 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 that, in that same, in that same time frame, I have gotten less than halfway through Bloodborne. Well, way less than halfway through, but there's also other games I've been playing. Um, and as another aside, I, I guess I should mention, um, if we're talking about games with with a lot of souls influence that aren't from games, I did play uh, Salt and Sacrifice uh, um, last year for the podcast. Around, I guess, around a year and a half ago, and I also played Hollow Knight for the first time last year. Um, Salt and Sacrifice is all right. Hollow Knight is brilliant, um, but we're not talking about either of those tonight. And I think one annoying sticking point on RPG fan is that. Mike Salvato, who I am deliberately calling out, and I don't mind being called out for calling him out. Why don't we cover Hollow Knight, Mike? That, that, that's just a bad idea in general. But anyway, um, sticking to good ideas. Uh, Alex, I know you have more Souls experience than Zach and I. Um, what uh, What is Souls to you, and what is Bloodborne to you? Yeah, so I also didn't get in on the, the Souls series right away with Demon Souls. I, I remember seeing, like, GameSpot gave it like Game of the Year 2009, and I'm like, okay, this looks like a cool RPG. Screenshots look cool, but then reading about like the difficulty and kind of the the low narrative focus, as it kind of as I understood it, just by reading from it, uh, didn't appeal too much to me. wasn't super into challenging games at the time, but um, then Dark Souls came out and was getting a lot of hype, even more kind of discourse about it. And once I saw that on and EB Games, uh, for like 20 bucks in like uh, maybe two years after it came out, I just decided to pick it up. Might as well give it a shot and uh, struggled my way through it, uh, got to Sen's Fortress and uh, dropped it out of frustration because I was just uh, being unfairly punished, I thought. But... That is a reasonable spot to do it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, slowly but surely, I was getting drawn back into it after some time passed, and I maybe did one other kind of frustration pause on my playthrough, but ended up finishing the game. It's since become kind of one of my favorite games ever, and I've since uh, played every other game in the Soul series at least once. Um, Bloodborne was my second uh, I believe I, I think I gave Dark Souls 2 a shot after Dark Souls 1 and didn't like it so much I, actually I, I've really grown to like Dark Souls 2 I think it's kind of Same. Uh, a hidden gem now um, yeah. but uh, yeah Bloodborne was just phenomenal I mean like uh, in terms of like kind of making this really vague approach to storytelling work um, like obviously it worked well with Dark Souls and like kind of like this uh mystical uh, static fantasy world but just applying that to like a lovecraftian kind of cosmic horror setting just works perfectly um so i played through bloodborne uh with a friend and uh, absolutely loved it um and uh yeah uh bloodborne is uh i definitely love it uh 
can't find many faults with it. It's not my personal favorite of the series. That would still probably be Dark Souls 1. And it's kind of like, it seems to be like a case where whichever kind of of these Souls games really uh, grips you first uh, and that you like really like push through and complete first is often people's favorites. Not all the time, but often. Um, and so, yeah, Dark Souls 1, I, I'm not going to get too into it now because it's a Bloodborne podcast, but absolutely love that game. Absolutely love the series. Um, I'd say, like, it's kind of become, like, the defining series of, of my 20s uh, as I'm kind of nearing the cusp end of the, that decade, um, just like as Final Fantasy kind of was my series for my teens and, and Zelda was probably my favorite series as a kid. Uh, absolutely love these games. Yeah, and I, I, there's a couple of things that are uh, uh, re- sort of recurring um, discussion points here. Uh, uh, but 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 first, addressing that um, how uh, this was a defining video game series of one decade of your life, Alex. I think I mentioned that Demon Souls was 2009, Elden Ring was 2022. I think in those intervening 13, 14 years basically the series grew and grew in popularity it like first it was critical acclaim then it was a very dedicated but small community then like like it almost like uh, i think multiple games in the series almost had meme status like people would joke about um about how uh about their punishing difficulty and um if you weren't into the games maybe it was a fault of you and not a fault of the game i'm, I'm not saying the community was perfect like had a great attitude about it but Elden Ring was a genuine mega blockbuster. A lot of people played Elden Ring, and it felt like a culmination of everything that From Software was doing um, in the decade of Souls likes. And uh, uh, but but this is not a blood. This is not excuse me. This is not an Elden Ring or a Dark Souls or a Demon Souls podcast. Even though I know that like, I will probably be comparing parts of Bloodborne to parts of Demon Souls for the these entire two episodes because that is the uh, Souls game that I have finished. Um, but but from software has been around for like almost forever. Uh, uh, I think Kingsfield in 1995 four or 1995 is the first PlayStation One RPG, <laughs> and they've been making Ar- Armored Core games for about as long. With uh, Armored Core Six happening very recently earlier this year, but really they have become the Souls Studio to a degree because um, I, I I think that's the series or group of games that everyone associates with them as much as I would love them to be the 3d dot game heroes studio, um, which was definitely the first from so- from software game that I've played. But uh, that's not even though that has a little bit of soulsy parts, it's not a souls game at all. Um, but but also, I, I think one common thing is that all four of us had some apprehension about starting these games before eventually trying one. And once we did put in a little bit of time and focus, we ended up loving them, and and even though that's that's only four games for Zach and one game for me, it's uh, almost the whole series for Geo and Alex. So, and and that's the thing about these games, they are challenging, but they are so beautiful and smartly designed and rewarding that, like, if you get over those early humps of difficulty, and um and all the other baggage that the series has, which is not helped by parts of the community. Like you, you, uh, you do get really into them, and I'm I'm still early-ish into Bloodborne. I think I think I'm probably nine hours in. I, I've beaten three bosses. I'm trying to figure out where the hell I'm supposed to go next in either Old Yarnum or the Cathedral Ward or both. Uh, but uh, but I I know um 
uh, all three of you have beaten this game already. Zach has beaten his one playthrough, while Gio and Alex are uh, further than I am in the in current playthroughs. Um, well, I unfortunately also did a new game plus playthrough, but it's okay. <laughs> <laughs> sweet. Well, I, I, I missed an item that I needed for the Chalice Dungeon, so I had to go through and play like most of the game again. Yeah, well, one thing that I think is true of most of the Souls games, please correct me if I'm wrong, um, but once you beat the game, you are dropped into a new game plus like seconds after the credits roll. And so the, these games are meant to be played and replayed and have people experiment with builds and strategies. And I, I know that Bloodborne has multiple endings, so yeah, probably when you're dropped into a new game plus, they're sort of intending, hey, do some more exploring and try to get another ending this time. So, so I guess I'll start with you, Zach. Was that was that your experience? Did you basically play your new game plus the same way with the same kind of builds I, and weapons, or or did you change things up or and just quite. try to get another ending? You know, uh, the first time I played the game, I, I I started with the axe. I finished with the axe. That the axe was trusty for me. I R two spammed my way through the beginning of the game. That sort of allowed me to clear out mobs, and I continued to do that with mobs, uh, less so with enemies. But I I, I picked up the. Um, uh, the, the Ludwig's Holy Blade um, and use that in my new game plus. But yeah, it started basically immediately. Um, and I, I like the way they they deal with new game plus with this game, um, you know, in that it's supposedly it makes things more difficult. And that's not entirely true, really, because you kind of know how to play the game now. So it's not actually as challenging, at least for me, the second time through. But um, I, I'm usually like a one weapon kind of guy. Like I want to like play it my way. And I know like this, this, this enemy might have different weaknesses, but like, I know what this move set is and I feel comfortable with this move set and I'm going to go with that move set. And it was the ax and it was Ludwig's Holy Blade for me. And those were pretty much outside of, I, there, there's a weapon in the DLC that I used for one boss because the boss was absurdly difficult. Um, and that was the only way I could take it down. But otherwise, uh, those were. Uh, I, I'm I'm a one one weapon kind of guy, one one build kind of guy. I I am usually uh, a two builds kind of guy, and this doesn't extend to dark uh, to the Souls games because again, I've only played a couple of them. But uh, when I play Monster Hunter, I almost I, I I almost always use multiple weapons because there's different weapons that that suit different encounters in that game. And when I was playing Demon Souls for the first time, I basically my roll around and avoid enemy attacks instincts were all from Monster Hunter. But um, I, I, I use two weapons for the most part when I play Demon Souls. Uh, I, well, I I sort of switch between a couple different ones before settling on a Mirrodin hammer and a Night Sword. And I'm I feel like uh, I will get there in Bloodborne eventually. Right now, I'm also using the Hunter Axe. Um, when I I looked at a video to look at the three starting weapons and decided, yeah, I'm an Axe Man. That looks that that looks like fun. Um, and and I like how it sort of switches and turns into a halberd. Uh, I am using the R2 halberd on halberd a lot. <laughs> It's amazing against mobs, and it stuns so many enemies. It's it's very it's very good. Yeah, that, yeah. that R two will take you a long way. Yeah, spin well, it, 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 it's <laughs> taking me a fair a, a fair distance already. But I, again, I'm only three bosses in, um, and I feel like I will experiment with different weapons until I find that second one, and then that second one will occupy the other slot on my build list. Um, but uh, but but right now, I, I am still sort of axe only. Uh, um, Alex, on this playthrough, what sort of weapon or strategy have you settled on? Yeah, so I am a skill build. Um, I was on my first playthrough, and I mean, the second playthrough is a new game plus, so I'm still kind of going with it, although I've added Blood Tinge into the mix, uh, just to feel a little bit cooler using my guns. Um, and first time around, I, I started with the cane. Uh, I decided to go the gentleman's route, and 
felt very posh strutting through the streets of Yarnum with this cool cane that turns into a, a badass Castlevania kind of whip um, <laughs> with a good AOE. Uh, so that was that was really fun. And later in the playthrough, um, I also uh, took on the Blades of Mercy, which um, a really fun weapon, uh, really kind of short range, but you can just kind of get up to enemies and just spam, just dice them apart. Uh, fun fun skill weapon. Uh, but this time around, I kind of took the opportunity to use two weapons that you don't get kind of towards until the, uh, the end of the game. So it's really kind of hard to use them outside of a New Game Plus run. And those are uh, the Rakuyo, which is kind of like... Uh, Kind of like a katana, but with oh. uh, kind of like a dagger at the Next edge. Next time I play through, that is 100% what I'm going to oh, use. It's, it's such a cool so, weapon. It's so cool. <laughs> and, and the boss you get it from is my favorite boss. I, I agree with you. You actually get it from those sharks in the well, but um, just incredibly painful. Um, but yeah, it's it's a great weapon. Um, yeah. Oh, no problem. Uh, yeah, Rakio is awesome. Uh, yeah, so it's kind of like splits into, uh, for its transformed form, you get like a sword and like a little dagger. And you can kind of mix in like fast kind of slash attacks with like little stabby attacks. Is, is it like a die show, a longer katana and a shorter katana? Uh, yeah, similar to that, actually. Yeah, okay. Yeah, um, I mean, a, a, a daito and shoto are katanas of specific size, sizes and someone that uses both in their belt at once is is uh it, that's called a die show as a pair but sorry, sorry go ahead yeah yeah i know what you're talking about but I, that didn't actually occur to me but that, that's a really good comparison uh and then with the the l2 in the transformed form you do this cool like uh spinning slice uh which is very satisfying just but made then me think I'm... of darth maul every time yeah <laughs> true true uh and then my other weapon which you get at the the very end of uh the initial playthrough is the burial blade which is basically a chunky sword curved sword uh that turns into uh, a scythe um so that's uh that's a lot of fun uh loving both these weapons fantastic and uh, geo same question to you um this playthrough what has been your sort of weapon strategy or build strategy oh yeah um i'm doing a skill build too actually like i started with the cane um and it's been incredible like you can use fire paper bolt paper on it it just looks awesome like it yeah like like um like alex said like it, it really does feel like castlevania just whipping yeah, enemies absolutely. <laughs> it, it, i i okay as someone who has played far more castlevania games than souls games this is a better 3d castlevania than the actual 3d castlevania yeah. exactly. exactly and especially with that cane yeah and then um well, I, I'm uh, fully cosplaying Eileen the Crow right now, so I'm on Blaze of Mercy, and like I'm wearing her her armor, and uh, it's just been fun. Like it actually makes the game a bit more uh, brain dead. I don't know if that's harsh to say, but like because <laughs> like I just spam R one and I win. <laughs> uh, it's my it's been my style. Like in ever since my first playthrough, like I like being kind of up close and personal anyway. Like. I went with the Kirk hammer for my first playthrough and like that, that the range of that thing is like zero almost. So yeah, I, I, I unlocked, I unlocked the Kirk hammer or I, I bought one, but I haven't really tried it out because I'm, I'm very, very married to this ax. I think, I think the only weapons I have are the hunter ax, the saw spear and the Kirk hammer, but the, but yeah, the ax is great. Yeah. yeah. I mean, the ax is one of the best weapons in the game all the way through just because of that R2 spin. I think it's just incredible. 
And uh, yeah, the Kirkhammer was it for me, and now it's the Blades of Mercy. I think though, I might experiment a bit too. Like I, I like I like Alex's Rockio like a lot. Like I, I can't wait to get it. But like uh, I'm not playing on New Game Plus though because uh, I lost my original save file. So I'm I'm just I started oh. over fresh. Yeah. So yeah. Um, right now it's Eileen the Crow core. I'm I'm just yeah. I'm I'm a hunter right now yeah i've also been going the uh the cosplay route uh except i i'm dressed as a gearman oh awesome <laughs> yeah, yeah burial blade i found some hunter armor in the sewers that's that was way better than my starting armor so i've been using that the whole time but it, it's it's i think it's it's what the character on the cover is dressed as or at least close yep. to it um and it's and then i'm i'm not i don't know if i'll change armor because none of the other armor i found is better than it yet you can use it the entire game, no problem. Yeah. The the thing about armor in this game in general is like it, it's it's pretty much fine, except for in it, there are certain situations like you might want lightning resist for a specific enemy. You might want trance resist for oh my god, the worst areas in the game. Um, but for the most part, like any armor set's going to carry you through. It's not like um, Dark Souls, for example, where it makes a big difference. In Demon Souls and probably Dark Souls, armor is hugely important, and and armor in Bloodborne seems a little important. But I, I think you you can go a uh, sort of um like form a form over function if you really want to. And and I don't, so far, I'm I'm okay with armor being one less thing that I have to think about. But uh, <laughs> um, uh, gentlemen, there was one uh, a couple of recurring things there, and that I might need to explain in case the uh, in case the audience isn't as familiar uh, with these as we are. Um, in Bloodborne, there's two kinds of weapons, trick weapons and firearms. Trick weapons are your sort of main melee weapons, and by pressing L2, they transform from the one-hand version to the two-hand version. And this is similar to how in Demon's Souls and Dark Souls, you can switch from wielding a weapon in one hand to two hands, but the trick weapons in Bloodborne actually transform. The Hunter Axe goes from being a sort of a one-handed hatchet to a long halberd. Um, the threaded cane that Alex mentioned goes from being a uh, a cane to sort of a whip cane. Uh, let's see. I, I think the um, Ludwig's Holy Blade, which uh, is one of the iconic weapons from this game that I am aware of but haven't unlocked yet that Zach mentioned, goes from being sort of a claymore to a bigger claymore that sort of incorporates the sheath into the or, or in, into yep. the sword as well. So um, like basically... Uh, and and, and uh, basically every weapon has two forms and um, light and heavy and charged attacks that you sort of mix around. Uh, this isn't like Dark Souls or Demon Souls where two swords will basically be the same or at, at least mostly the same, but but uh, different in range and speed and uh, and and but not really have a unique functional difference. They'll still be swords. All the weapons in Bloodborne are inherently unique and very different from one another. This is this isn't like again like an RPG where every sword is basically basically behaves the same way. Every weapon in Bloodborne, um, un unless you get like a a I don't know, it's maybe there's some kind of other world version of the Hunter Axe that I haven't found yet. But uh, the fifteen to twenty five or so weapons in Bloodborne are all unique. So this is all this all, this is where Bloodborne sort of nudges away from being a an open-ended RPG and into like slightly character action Devil May Cry territory. And, but again, if we're making Castlevania and Devil May Cry comparisons to uh, this game, it's, it's, it's even more shocking. I haven't played this earlier, uh, but, and, and also we talked about build and stats a little bit. Um, um, I think every souls like game, 
there's a, a series of stats and you at every level up you increase one of the stats by one and what stats uh you sort of focus on the most will define your build to a degree um in bloodborne they are i might get some of these wrong i'm sorry they are vitality stamina strength skill blood tinge and arcane <laughs> <laughs> so vitality is your health pool your stamina is your stamina pool for things like uh, charging moves and and uh, and dodge rolls strength affects certain weapons uh skill affects certain uh, faster weapons blood tinge affects your guns uh damage and arcane affects your spells and certain weapons that maybe you have that are arcane focused and and every souls game has their unique se selection of six or seven stats that you have to balance investment in and your different yeah you know, you know uh, uh weapons that focus on different stats right now i'm doing a sort I'm, I'm raising vitality strength and skill basically equally because i know that the the axe is more of a strength weapon but does benefit from skill a little bit so uh i'm just focusing on those three stats to increase my health increase my defense and attack and speed um and maybe i'll put some points into arcane if there's spells that i want to use but for for now i'm, I'm okay focusing on just those three i will say if you're uh, if you're playing to like mainly focus on strength weapons, just don't bother with skill at all, because uh, that would probably be better spent just upgrading your your strength more, getting yourself more health and stamina. I I um my plan was to get them all up to twenty, and and I'm I'm close-ish to that, and then after I get those to twenty, just do strength. Um, but I wanted the bait, but uh, again, when I was playing uh, uh Demon Souls. I, I sort of got my key stats, which were most, which were uh, 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 faith, stamina, and, uh, and and vitality, to a base level before focusing on one to sort of build optimize. So I, I think what I am going to do, I, uh, it, because also because dex uh, skill does increase your defense a little bit, and will, and I know that some weapons that I might find later might have a a skill base requirement. Again, this is heavily informed by me playing uh, uh, Demon Souls and also Salt and Sacrifice. I'm sorry, Salt and Sanctuary, not Salt and Sacrifice. I've, I've probably been misspeaking mis uh, mis about that game this whole time. Yeah, uh, yeah I'm, I'm, I don't think I'm sorry, Alex. I don't think I'm going to deviate from my plan right now. But the, the plan is to get oh, you do uh, you. Yeah, to get vitality, strength, and speed up, up and skill up to twenty, and then focus on either vitality or strength, depending on whether I want health or damage more. But for now, I'm. I think I'm okay, uh, but I'm also. I also want to try out some more weapons. Uh, but I've really been, and I, I did try the saw spear and the Kirk hammer a little bit. But I, right now, I'm, I'm an axe man. But uh, we talked about um, Castlevania a little bit because uh, the setting of Bloodborne is a sort of uh, gothic horror cosmic horror sort of uh like victorian-ish kind of setting um it, it's an old ruined town called yarnum uh it, it's uh it, it's the, the there there's a blood plague going on there's there's uh, uh werewolves and um sort of blood and sort of plague stricken uh um crazy people wander the streets and uh you the player character are a hunter who are, who is trying to um i believe uh, please correct me if i'm wrong uh, trying to exterminate beasts in Yarnum in hopes of finding a uh, uh, s some special old blood that could possibly cure your own plague or or uh, maybe cure someone's plague back home. But uh, basically, the the uh, 
the area is filled with some residents living in fear, some uh, uh, da very dangerous, crazy people, some hunters that are, that have similar goals to you. Uh, but it, it's mostly a pretty solitary game um, that does not have a broad, broad number of characters that you interact with all the time in the present, but uh, does have sort of wandering NPCs that do provide quests and provide um, goals for you. Uh, 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 Geo mentioned the crow. I fairly recently met a guy named Alfred that I'm sure I'm going to help uh, do stuff with later. Uh, <laughs> and, uh, and we, oh, I think we also mentioned Germán, who is um, the person that sort of is, uh, he's, he's sort of the person in, that uh, runs your home base, the hunter's dream, which is a place you can teleport back and forth from using lanterns uh, or, or lamps. Um, what do we think about the Metroidvania non-linearity of the setting, but also the, you know, uh, the, the lore and aesthetics of the setting in general? Because I think that that's, I mean, at the risk of sounding like of doing that dumb Sex in the City quote, I think that like Yarnum is a character in this game as well. Yeah, I mean, uh, I, I, Bloodborne isn't my favorite of these games, but it's probably the best world, I'd say, like in terms of like the the intrigue the aesthetic uh the way you're introduced to it like the the game has such a strong start and yarnum in general is just like one of the most memorable and probably best levels of any video game i've played um i really like one of the the key things that that stick out to me especially like coming from dark souls to this game back when i played it was um just how expansive it was in comparison to uh, the earlier Souls games levels, uh, there's there's significantly more non-linearity. You're kind of getting lost in these city streets and alleys. Uh, there's kind of like more dynamic enemy movements. Like I'm sure you all know uh, by now, like kind of near that uh, first lantern uh, in Yarnum, when you kind of like go down into that street, and then there's, there's like that that mob of uh, of of humans kind of just like walking around with like their pitchforks and whatnot like that that was so like yeah it's like it's unique. like a procession of people yeah they, yeah they, they killed me enough I couldn't forget yeah exactly <laughs> <laughs> we've all uh, we've all had many deaths to that mob um, but yeah but it was, it was so unique uh, coming from like the the previous games and it just made like the the world of this game just feel more alive uh, and that like kind of added uh with like kind of the the mystery and kind of what, what's going on uh you, also as you're kind of walking through these streets you'll hear kind of like mutterings from inside buildings and if you like see like a lantern near like a door you'll you'll notice that you can like knock on that door and like you'll get interactions from like the npcs that kind of just like vaguely allude to the fact of you being a hunter and maybe you're not being the most wanted presence in this city so um yeah the, the city of yarnum just like uh, aside from just being this sprawling uh, level of kind of uh, uh, big kind of like more open spaces, but also like big kind of verticality, like you go up and down uh, the city. Uh, it's just like uh, a phenomenal design and um, I'll play it any day. Yeah. I, it's interesting because um, sort of thinking about it in terms of, you know, coming from Dark Souls, and even though this wasn't the next game, it was the next game that, um, what's his name? Who, who leads the series? Hidetaka Miyazaki. Yeah, Miyazaki was the next game he worked on, and then he moves on to you know Dark Souls 3 in, in Sekiro. And sort of seeing like the progression of the way that he's done things, because obviously Yarnum was the first zone I ever played. And so 
I find it a little overwhelming in some ways at first, just because like, if you get lost, there's such a high possibility you'll die. And then when you die, it's like, where, how do I, we haven't talked about this, but I'm sure everybody who's listening knows like, how do I get back to my body (laughs) to get that thing? And and the checkpoints are so, are, are so important in that situation, but also like you get lost and you're not sure where you are and you're really afraid of that. But like the way that it, I love the way Bloodborne in general is um, nonlinear within levels. Um, certainly there are ways you can sequence break and do different things, but it's not like Dark Souls where you literally can, especially if you pick the master key at the beginning, you could do basically anything <laughs> at the beginning of that game. Whereas here it feels like a blend between this and then when uh, you know, thinking about Sekiro where it's very, it's very linear in many ways. Um and I, I like the way that um, the shortcuts exist in this space, but also at the end of the day, like it, it's it, the terror of the space and like how terrifying all the enemies are and terrifying the setting is matches just like how terrifying it is to fight them because they're going to stomp you over and over again. I, I think that that in the next area, Old Yarnum is pretty much the next area. Uh, are, are the two hardest areas in the whole game uh, because it's a slightly bit of a relief because I've I've been struggling through old Yarnum uh, in my old, most old, in my most uh, recent old Yarnum I think for me for me I think was the hardest area um, really okay that bastard yeah. with the Gatling gun yeah the yes tower. oh I, I hate all my, him on my new game plus <laughs> uh, run I was just like I immediately like there's a way that you don't actually have to kill him and you can make friends with him and I was like screw that guy I'm gonna go kill him again but I'm gonna do it immediately yeah. he, he he's he's <laughs> killed me at a distance and in person a couple of times yeah um in I, the pa- in the past week or so of playing the game i i cheesed him with my gun so um but yeah uh, um anyway my point is that like it the terror matches the the difficulty and just like you just don't know what's happening and i don't really think that the hunter really knows what's happening either and i think it's just great um the way that it it opens in general also, one one part of that level I will uh, also never forget is walking into that dark house, and you see the it gets darker and darker as you go further, and then there's like a, a wheelchair, and then an <laughs> old man just starts oh, yeah. laying off bullets <laughs> on you. <laughs> I mean, it was like free blood later, but yeah, first time I was like, oh. I just got gatlinged by some dude in a wheelchair. It's embarrassing too. <laughs> <laughs> Love that guy. <laughs> The way he turns around, like, really slowly, and, like, you don't know what's going to happen. Yeah, it's, like, creaking. One of the key moments of the series. Yeah. Uh, you, you become, like, intimately familiar with that house, too. Like, if you need if you need to, like, farm vials and bullets, like, you, there's a, like, you can loop around that house and, like, with the trolls outside. And, like, yeah. Like, I don't know. I, 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 on my first playthrough, that's what I did. Like, the farm vials and bullets like yeah it was it's also the route to cleric beast which i actually think in the regular playthrough was the boss i died to the most (laughs) (laughs) story i've I've only fought three bosses but the the boss that i died to the most by far was father gascoigne who we will talk about briefly um um but a couple things that we haven't really mentioned here uh just some highlights of souls games um we we mentioned uh uh, like farming for vials and bullets Uh, i think every souls game that has um, some a, a a common healing resource that uh, but but every game handles it a little bit differently. In um in Demon Souls, you always have to be sort of finding herbs. In uh, the Dark Souls games, you have a uh, a, a flask, a, an item called an Essence flask that that gives you a limited number of heals. 
but then at, when you go to a save point or a bonfire that uh, that you it maxes out your heals again um in in bloodborne you have to collect blood vials which i think you have which i, th- I think are capped at 20 unless there's a way to raise that there cap. are like runes to like late basically slightly raise it but it's, it's okay. basically not worth it so yeah okay i mean not every game can be as perfect as uh final fantasy 16 um <laughs> but 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 the uh basically you have um your your the bullets for your gun and your number of heals are limited but they are dropped often enough that if you had a really challenging segment and you're completely out of bullets and vials you can farm them uh at at, at, at uh, probably several places uh are reasonable ways to do that mm-hmm. but also um uh we, we mentioned uh blood or blood echoes and i mean it's right there in the title there's a lot of blood in bloodborne your blood soaked the whole time there's a blood plague going on old blood is a, a plot point of some a, a plot device of some kind there's just a lot of blood in general but every souls game has a singular resource that sort of dominates the game. In Dark Souls and Demon Souls, it's souls. In Elden Ring, it's runes. And in Bloodborne, it's blood echoes, where basically every enemy drops blood echoes. Um, and it's both your currency, your experience points, and um, and, and, and and your currency for both shops and upgrades. Uh, a, a whole lot of the game revolves around blood echoes. And maybe other people have different points of uh, reference for this, but uh, this game does what I would call the Diablo thing of when you die, uh, your your corpse or your spot of where you died um, is represented on the on the in the world again. And you're and you're sent back to your last save point and you can collect all of the blood echoes that you've um, that, that you lost at death by finding the place where you died and um and recovering them but if you die before recovering your previous death then those blood echoes are lost forever and everyone has a story of a souls game where they lost a truly heartbreaking number of souls or blood echoes or runes <laughs> because they because because they had um something unexpected happen on the journey back to their body um i lost right around ten thousand um because of that stupid gatling gun guy um i i i basically had a a dodge roll that pinned me into the wrong area. And then I was hit and then I was like hit against a barrier by the Gatling gun multiple times. And then one of the werewolves I was rolling away from, uh, like caught me and slap and gave me a nice, I know exactly the area you're talking about. Cause that you, happened to me too. <laughs> I, 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 I'm not surprised. Yeah. But like, and, uh, and I, and, and I was and I, doing that. I was on the way to my blood, my blood stain where my, uh, lost, uh, blood echoes were in sort of the town area. You know what I mean? Where that's sort of mm-hmm. like underneath, um, uh, at the lowest point of Old Yarnum. Mm-hmm. So I was on the way to that, but then the I got pinned by Gatling gun and and werewolves. Um, the the push pull of, um, of fighting then retreating, maybe using your souls to level up at your base because you you can't level up at any time. You you collect your uh souls or or I mean I I might accidentally say souls a couple times, but it's blood echoes in this game. Like you level up with your echoes at your home base by talking to the uh, the doll, who's uh, 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 this game's version of Maiden in Black. Again, I'm just my point of reference is Demon Souls here. Um, and uh, the, the push pull of exploring, going back, maybe leveling up, maybe upgrading your weapons using the whatever thing that you found, exploring again, maybe fighting a boss, maybe finding some new equipment. Uh, like going back is sort of the push pill of like dragon quest one go as far as your mp will take you into a dungeon then retreat and heal and go back again it is a version of that that just feels so impactful and high risk 
that it, it, it is maybe to me the core gameplay loop of what Souls is, is balancing the exploration with risk and trying to find a new save, uh, a new save point or safe space and just explore the space, space as much as you can while getting stronger as much as you can and uh, figuring out your character's build as you do it and finding new equipment and new resources as you do it. That is the, the uh, pardon my pun, the soulless way of analyzing what a Souls game is. <laughs> but I think it's because from software is so good at this and these games are always fair even if they're even if they're brutal because there there is a way to accomplish all of them and um, and if you're patient and you learn enemy movements and learn the environment and sort of you know again like master your weapon master the enemies master the master the environment which is the old uh the old monster hunter adage that i uh, go back to a lot like like if you are careful and except this is a game of learning and not an, and, uh, but not an unfair, punishingly difficult game, then, then it's more rewarding. The more you play is my interest is my feeling of how, of, of what the journey of a souls game is. And I'm in the middle of it with bloodborne right now and uh, experienced it very powerfully in demon souls. Am I, am I um, completely talking out of my ass here? Or is this is, 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 is are basically these feelings, semi-valid because i mean mean, that's what's compelling to me about these souls games there's these this beautiful world with smartly uh designed stages and uh uh, like fun stats and weapons and everything but it's that arc of exploring more strengthening yourself more but you can die at any time because uh if you accidentally get surrounded by enemies instead of carefully picking them off one by one or if you uh too adventurously stumble into a trap, then you uh, you could lose everything that you've collected, and the sort of risk of that and the loop of that is so so powerful to me, and makes is what makes me want to play more of this game. I, I gotta I gotta get out of old Yarnum first, though. <laughs> I mean, I think you're basically right, and like I would just add that part of the reward is like becoming better at the game, like you know, getting good at the game. Like the more you play, like the more you master the game, the more you understand how combat works how enemies work and yeah it's just that's for me that at least for me that's part of the appeal and uh and also another thing that i find that's you know keeps me going when i play souls games is that uh you just don't want to know what happens next like you just want to like this as the story unfolds as the world opens up like you just you can't you just you just can't stop you got to keep going. Like that's that's how I feel about yeah. Souls games. And I feel like every area is so creative too. Like I, I, I'm always interested in like what new area is going to give me something that I don't understand at all. Um, I mean, I know we're not going to talk about the story too much here, but like I didn't understand the story of this game at all the first time I played it. <laughs> like I, maybe very very basically, but like I, I mean, I, I said it before, but I only have the vaguest of ideas. You, why you understand the, why, it why better? The hun- why the hunter is even here? You understand it better now than I did at the end of my first playthrough. Let's put it that way. <laughs> um, so like I didn't understand it at all. I was just like. I let it wash over me and I'm just like, eh, it's just like flavor text basically for the world itself. But like, um, it's, it's the surprises, like the constant surprises in the game design and how like they one up themselves with some other weird thing and they one up themselves in the level design with some gimmick. And I, and I think that uh, again, like kind of putting it in the spectrum of the from games that I've played, I feel like it kind of is perfected here where there's enough variety and toughness uh, whereas I 
personally think that some areas in Dark Souls are so cheap that they're not fun at all. Like the Giants area uh, underneath the catacombs where I can't see. Like, it's not fun. Um, I don't understand how anyone thinks it's fun. Um, Please message me message me with your thoughts on the Poison Swamp when you get through that part of Demon yeah. Souls. Uh, fair I enough. Could, but... I could write you a whole essay on why it's oh, <laughs> On why that area? I, I, I could see Blight Town. I could see Sense Fortress. But that area? No. I, 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 never mind. Um, <laughs> but I, I, I agree with you in general. My only criticism of the game play loop in this game is that i think that the healing stuff was kind of perfected in dark souls yes i'm saying i, I like dark souls a lot um i like that it's just refilled i do not like farming for blood vials i think it's boring um and i think that it is I, I actually can only literally pinpoint one weakness of this game because i like everything about it pretty much uh there's some bosses that i think are mid but um it's blood vial farming i think it's super annoying and it's definitely a thing that i found myself doing uh because i'm going into a tough fight i'm like i want all my blood vials because healing is quick in this game and viable and it's important so like i could be like get good and use your two blood vials but i'm like come on i'm gonna go get my 20 and i just think it's frustrating yeah like the the one justification i could see for it that i guess what they were going for is that instead of like the souls gains where you as you progress through the games you get kind of better max estus to have um with bloodborne some enemies drop blood vials so you could be like kind of you've been healing throughout like playing through a level and you're kind of running low and you like kill an enemy and you pick up some blood vials and it's like a nice moment of just like reprieve just like oh thank god like i can keep going um that's the one justification but in in practice yeah i think it's just uh regressive uh, design move in a sense estus is is such a perfect idea um and it works so well with kind of just the um like the soul system of just like when you die you you drop your souls and have to start back like it, it was just a perfect marriage of, of design elements that i'm not totally sure why they decided to go back to like the consumable approach that they had in demon souls with bloodborne yeah, I'm not sure about that either. Uh, I, I the, the thing about the blood vial system is that you feel great when you have 20 vials and 20 bullets, or even 15 vials and 15 bullets. But when you you're maybe overreaching a little bit and you're struggling in a new area and you're down to two vials and and three bullets, then you're like, oh, I hate this system. <laughs> but but the uh, like. Uh, I don't think it's that hard to get back up to 20, but because you have to go out of your way to do so, if you're in a slightly compromised position, makes me think of, yeah, probably the, um, the Estus flask system is a, is a little bit smarter because it gives you a hard cap. Um, and it's maybe less exploitable, but also, uh, gives you a guaranteed number. Once you, uh, once you get to a safe Haven again, I, I, I don't like the consumables in Demon Souls, but but, uh, uh, but one thing that I think that Bloodborne does that is much friendlier than either of those is there's no version of encumbrance in Bloodborne. Um, because I, I, in, I think also in Dark Souls, please correct me if I'm wrong, but definitely in Demon Souls. It's there, yeah. Yeah, okay. Load, uh, load weight or whatever it's called, yeah. Yeah, your your inventory is very limited and you have to uh, keep you have to keep thin because if you're um if you uh, reach a certain level of encumbrance you start to move much more slowly and uh and, but you but you never have really inventory issues like that in bloodborne um there there's no full pause menu so like even if you're paused uh, it, uh like if there's enemies around they can still find you and get you but the uh but but you you always have um 
I think up to uh, up to five or six items as well as two weapons and two firearms on quick switch. So it's very you can very, very easily change weapons and use items quickly without having to go into a dedicated menu, which which is great. And uh, and there's nothing that slows you down if you're if you have a lot of items and in the in in Demon Souls and the other Souls games, also in Salt and Sacrifice, if you have a lot of heavy armor on, then it slows your movement and slows your uh, and slows your 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 evade roll. But because your evade roll is so important in these games, because it's your you know it's your only method of escape, uh, it's it's a, a an important defensive tactic. All of that. If your uh, if your evade is short and slow, that's extremely punishing. So trying to at least in uh, Demon Souls, trying to get under that fifty percent encumbrance, uh, and and maybe raising your uh, your endurance stat high enough to a. Uh, uh, to 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 raise that um that minimum bar so you have a nice good at least medium fast roll is super important uh, that's not an issue in bloodborne your roll is always good and always the same speed and you're uh, there's no encumbrance or uh yeah. or, or limitations on that I, I thought that was very very uh relieving because because managing my encumbrance in my inventory was a major part of salt and sacrifice and uh and demon souls and i'm glad i don't have to deal with that right now yeah there was a part of dark souls where um you have to change inventory to get to a certain spot and i i, I had like a, a basically something that raised my load value and i had to keep like putting it off and on and it was super annoying but that actually gets to one thing that we haven't talked about in the combat with bloodborne that is very different from previous from games which is that attacking enemies actually gives you health back that's true yeah um, um which, which i think is an important thing to talk about because i think that the lack of encumbrance is part of that like it encourages aggression um in a way that like it it, it plays so much like a dark souls whereas but like kiting is totally a legitimate tactic there and you know in lots of other games uh in the series i'm sure but here like you want to be up close and personal and i think that they probably wanted you to not have to worry about that idea of encumbrance because they wanted you up in the boss's face as much as possible or under underneath or its legs. Yeah. <laughs> underneath its legs yeah. more accurately. Get, but yeah. Get, get behind the butt. That's what Indeed. you want to do. It's, I, I, I wonder if the lore explanation is that um if you if you shed if you like bloodlet enemies, then you can absorb some of the blood back into yourself and heal you. But basically, if you're attacked, you have a limited bar of like red health in a fighting game or a monster hunter game and you can recover that health back if you attack the enemy within a window of a few seconds so basically like if you keep attacking you can heal damage that you've taken without using a blood vial or uh and and um and and they want you to use your role and your back step like offensively and not just defensively They, they basically um in in demon souls and dark souls like having a shield is super important and having a very turtle strategy where you like block the attack then counter and then get back into your guard stance again you can't do that in bloodborne you find wooden shields here and there but they break after like after a few seconds or something this is a game that wants you to be uh on the on on the offensive all the time and rewards uh that strategy uh and and they reward you they reward it with baked in gameplay systems and not by and not necessarily by punishing you for trying to use a shield. They just really don't give you a useful shield. They're like, no, no, this, this isn't the shield game. This is the wield an axe or a saw blade and a gun and, and go and go nuts game. Yeah, the, the action in Bloodborne compared to, to Dark Souls is just, yeah, as we've been explaining, just a lot more deliberate. Like, the, they deliberately make the enemies far more aggressive. Um, and that also just encourages you to be aggressive with the 
uh, kind of blood stealing uh, mechanic, um, which is why also I don't want to get too off topic, but that's why I think in Elden Ring, uh, one problem there was that I feel like they kept the kind of enemy aggressiveness of Bloodborne without having that uh, mechanic in, so it just made it sometimes a little bit frustrating. But anyways, I'm getting uh, distracted. Uh, just in defense of encumbrance, though, um, for for the Souls games in, in comparison, just to compare to Bloodborne, um, it, it was a lot more focus on just like the the game is breaking you, so you can find a way to break the game. And the the those games just offer so much in terms of build variety, in terms of how you want to approach. You can make yourself super encumbered with all this like big heavy armor that gives you a lot of poise to tank hits. Um, and allow you to attack enemies at the same time uh, if you choose to go that route, or you can kind of go a lighter roll route. Meanwhile, yeah, Bloodborne, uh, they clearly had a, a very specific combat philosophy in, and I think the combat overall is more satisfying, fair, and rewarding for that um, at the sacrifice of that variety that you can approach uh, the Core Souls games with. So. Um, in some, I think it makes the combat better, but th- there's there's some trade-offs too. Yeah, okay. Quote, in defense of encumbrance, unquote, makes me think of people uh, talking about Breath of the Wild or a Fire Emblem game and saying, actually, weapons that de- that destroy themselves after a certain number of uses is a good thing. Which is like, <laughs> which is like, I understand why they're doing it from a gameplay philosophy standpoint. That doesn't make it any less frustrating in the moment when I'm trying to get under, when I'm trying to get from 52% uh, inventory to 49% inventory in Demon Souls. Uh, but uh, I understand why encumbrance and poise are good systems when in, in, in their own games. I'm also glad it's not in this game. <laughs> it, it yeah, just... I, I definitely do agree with that. But you know, we, we we've mentioned a couple bosses without really going deep into them. Uh, the, the, I've only fought the three, first three bosses of the game: the cleric beast, Father Gascoigne, and the blood starved beast. Um, and I I sort of love how, even though they're the, they're the technically the introductory bosses, I, I don't even think the uh, cleric beast is a required boss fight. They they're, they're aggressive. Like you have to learn. Um, like how to you have to learn how to balance your offense and defense and evasion in all of these fights. And um, the one that I struggled with the most was father Gascoigne. And I, I like, I had a, a, an, 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 Oh shit moment when he turned into a werewolf the first, the, the first time. And I, uh, and basically I, I like, I would, I would, I would roll like a complete maniac, try to hide behind some of the gravestones in his area to use, to safely use my blood vials before getting back out there again. Um, it is, I had to sort of learn how to use the countering mechanics for the first time against him because I, I, I couldn't safely R2 spin to win every time. Um, in, in the way countering works in Bloodborne, there, there's no like shield deflecting or shield counters. So it's it's and, and I I know you guys all know this, but in case the audience doesn't, the, the way you counter in Bloodborne is to use your firearm, which I've I've only really used the starting pistol, but at least it's, it's good at this to uh to to fight to shoot them when they're sort of have their weapon or arm raised to attack, and that will put them into a stunned state that can get allow you to back away or get a free hit in or a, or a special uh critical hit in and yeah these um first for for a first boss or second boss these were pretty punishing but i do feel like they were gameplay walls that got me better at the game so again um 
I, I, I this is probably a, an adage I'm going to be returning to a lot in these two episodes. Uh, this is a game that is very good at teaching you how to how to get better at it. And and that's part of that feeling of mastery and reward that you get for success in the game, which is, again, when it's when it's this good, it's a very powerful feeling. So so I, I hate Father Gascoigne for murdering me so many times, <laughs> but also thank you, Father Gascoigne, for like for doing exactly what you did. Father Gascoigne, best teacher of 2015. <laughs> yeah, I, I I really struggled on Gascoigne. I mean, like, yeah, I, I probably died to him six or seven times the first time through. Um, but I really, I was only using my axe and tricked uh, form, and I was only R2 spamming. <laughs> um, and the second time through, I just one-handed my uh, LHB and uh, just countered him every time he started to swing. Mm-hmm. And it was like... He was, I didn't even touch me the second time through. And so, like, I, I think it's also one of the things that's great about like New Game Plus in this game um, is that satisfaction of just wiping the floor with someone, not just because like you're overpowering them stat wise, but because like my skill level has gone up so much um, that you can just absolutely obliterate someone. But the, the Gascoigne fight, I think, is one of the best fights in the game, mm-hmm. um, regardless. Uh, thematically, if you go talk to his daughter uh, beforehand, and find out sort of the backstory of that. And you can get an item that <laughs> um, I didn't do this, but I, I watched some videos because I was curious that um, it's like a music box um, for his family um, and, and sort of like all of that, like what happened to him as he, as he becomes a turn, turns from a hunter into a beast um, and what he did to his wife and how tragic that is. Um, it, it's, it's a remarkable. And I also think that one of the things we haven't talked about is like the way that they do storytelling through the bosses sometimes. And I think Gascoigne is one of the best examples of that. Um, Cleric Beast doesn't have enough context until literally the DLC, but um, Gascoigne in and of itself is a tragedy in a fight. And I think that it is um, a great example of, the way that from can tell stories in ways, if you're willing to invest and go through all the different steps they want you to go through to get to it. That is beautiful. Yeah. It's crazy how you could uh, be playing through any of these games and the bosses will just, you could just look at them as obstacles to your progress. Or if you really want to get into the lore, you want to read the different item or weapon descriptions related to them, then you can really start to see them as individuals with entire tragic backstories and, Gascoigne is just such a, a good epitome of that, especially with the fact that you can, yeah, bring the music box uh, to the fight, use it in battle, and like essentially put him in like a stun state to give you an advantage in the fight. It's like, uh, yeah, such a fantastic uh, combination of uh, like an item mechanic working like narratively in the context of of characterizing this boss. Which I mean, yeah, again, like the bosses in in these games are some of the most important characters in the lore. Yeah, uh, there's no good ending for that daughter, by the way. Like, uh, I'm pretty sure no matter what you That's do, like, she ends. The up. only good ending is never talk to her at all. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> um, and oh, uh, I just wanted to share like this, like a fun fact about Gascoigne. Like, there's actually cut dialogue in, from the game where I think uh, he says "umbasa," so which is I find super intriguing because that means like. They were considering like a connection to demon souls at some point 
No, wow, the I, I never heard of that, but the, the implications there for the, the lore folks must have been yeah. uh, extreme. I imagine there's like a, a five-hour YouTube video responding to that finding. There, <laughs> oh my god, the, the lore rabbit holes, mostly on YouTube, but probably, probably also podcasts and many other places, can get real intense for the Souls games. I, I'm equally willing to believe these are all taking place in separate dimensions, or in the same world thousands of years apart, or on the same world on different continents. I don't know exactly what it is, but um, I'm, I'm, but I, uh, I, I'm, I'm definitely enjoying uh, experiencing Bloodborne's world for the first time. I, uh, I'm not going to go out of my way to see how it possibly connects to other games, but, you know, and anything in the way of a, an Easter egg that isn't just a sort of moonlight um, is, uh, is, you know, is, you know, something that I would welcome. Uh, but yeah, you know, I, I, I think we've done a pretty good job of expressing our appreciation for the souls formula and just how good the early hours of Bloodborne are. Uh, I think we can get into more lore specific and story specific and end game boss stuff in the second episode. But, um, I, I there is something I want to ask you more experienced Bloodborne players, um, of me, uh, the old hunters DLC, uh, I, I, the, the version of the game I had did not have it with, uh, included, but it was on sale, um, earlier today, uh, or I, or maybe it went on sale yesterday, but I, uh, I, I, I did pick it up. Um, I, so I have old hunters installed now when I, when for most of my playthrough, I've not had it installed. Um, how, how do, uh, do you think I should try to explore that, uh, before we record again, or should I just try to roll c credits and maybe do old hunters on a second playthrough. No, definitely do old hunters on like, yeah, it, it's, it's some of the best content of the game. Like no oh, exaggeration, boy. like it's... three, three of the best levels and three of the best bosses are in old hunters. And it adds so much to your understanding of the overall lore of the game. It's, it's basically essential. I'd say. Yeah, I, I basically agree. I, I, I'd say that bloodborne is probably like a top 10 game for me nowadays. And that would not, have even been close to true without Old Hunters. Um, oh, Old Hunters is very challenging compared to the main game. Like, there's one boss. Um, at, once I like understood how to play, there's one boss that I struggled with in the main game. Other than that, I basically was fine, except for the bloody crow of Kanehurst. That is the most absurdly difficult <laughs> fight in this game. Um, but um, yeah, I, I mean, I, I think that. I hate to say like you haven't really played the game if you haven't played Old Hunters, but you have, of course. But like it's it feels so essential to me. Um, and you can do it right before you hit like there's there's going to be a you'll, you'll know there's a moment when you're getting ready to go to the final boss and you can go do Old Hunters at that point, And that's the way you want to do it, because if you hold it for New Game Plus, it's just going to be harder. Um, and I haven't done it on New Game Plus, but I've heard that Old Hunters is pretty challenging on New Game Plus, And it was pretty challenging on the new game as well. As someone who's in the, in the middle of old hunters on new game plus, I, I can definitely confirm that <laughs> it's very challenging, uh, but I just beat uh, the, the first big boss there. So that was extremely satisfying silent. Well, we'll see how I get, how far I get in another week. I mean, this is going to be my priority one game uh, for the rest of November, at least. I, I, I don't know. I, I'm, I'm worried about uh, getting far enough to beat the game because I've I just been really busy with work and personal stuff this week. So I didn't get to play as much Bloodborne as I would have preferred. But uh, yeah, I'm, I'm still just trying to figure out where to go next after old Yarnum. I think I think I, I know where by now, but it just it just took me a while. Um, and uh, I'm, I'm really looking forward to exploring more of the game because 
while this game is hard and frustrating sometimes, again, I, I lost more than uh, uh, 10,000 blood echoes at one point um, several days ago. Uh, th that's not enough to get me to stop. It, this game is super, super good. And if it keeps getting better and the DLC is among the best parts of the game, that is only exciting and encouraging for me. But uh, thank you so much uh, for bringing a very positive attitude to this Bloodborne discussion uh, this episode. And this is a game that all three of you love very much. And I am uh, joyfully experiencing and discovering for the first time uh, right now. I mean, although, I mean, Zach, you were also discovering this for the first time, but you went real it feels hard like a, it feels like a while ago now <laughs> <laughs> it, it was it was a it was a like, like we planned to play this game roughly five or six weeks ago and 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 you were and, and you joined us right at the beginning of that but you liked the game so much you beat it in like 10 days which is which i i think maybe just it, just that fact speaks to how uh how much it spoke to you and, and how good the game is and it's remarkable uh, and and there's a lot of other people in rpg fan um that were uh that we're excited about this game too. So it's not just, yeah, they gave me a lot of good advice too. Yeah. I said like, please help me get good at this game. And they, everybody gave me uh, incredible advice. So, and, and this is a game that, um, former random encounter host, Rob Steinman has been bugging me to play for literally as long as I've known him, which is, which is, you know, roughly 2014, 2015. So th this is a game that is very, very loved and, uh, is very, very good. And I, I just hope that I may that I manage to get to the end in the next week or so. Um, but if you're uh, going to go skip any of the content, uh, just skip the chalice dungeons, and uh, oh, ignoring sure. that might give you might give you time they, for they uh, suck, honestly. <laughs> yeah. Okay. All right. That, that, that's one thing I'm I I think I'm confident I can ignore when I come across <laughs> them. You definitely can. <laughs> All right, but uh, this is not the only game I'm, I'm in the middle of playing right now, though, because um, right after these Bloodborne episodes, we're doing two episodes on Dragon Age Origins, which I have to say carefully because I, uh, for as long as I've been playing that game, which is, again, uh, something like 13 or 14 years, I have been calling that game t Dragon Age Oranges. So please do not send any uh, uh, mean emails about me saying Dragon Age Oranges because that is that is what I call that damn thing. But um, uh, we're playing uh, Dragon Age Oranges <laughs> for the podcast in December. Um, uh, it's, the, it's the first time, I, it's my first playthrough of that game in about 10 years and I'm having a, and I played the very beginning stages, but I, I need to focus on Bloodborne for the next week or so. So, uh, and But also, uh, Zach, you've been playing one of your favorite um, games recently, for RPG fans 25th anniversary. That's true. Um, I mean, not my favorite version of it, but um, Lunar, uh, the Silver Star. Um, we're uh, we're going to be putting out a sequence of reviews of the four major versions of Lunar, the Silver Star. And uh, sort of in, uh, because, you know, the, the site started um, as LunarNet and um, it's 25th anniversary of Lunar, uh, the Silver Star story is complete being released. And also, it's um, or it's the 30th anniversary, I think, of uh, the Silver Star being released, and it's also our 25th anniversary, so it seems appropriate. And we're going to be talking about all four versions, um, I guess, next month. Yeah. Yep. So again, I was I was drawing attention to that feature, but also drawing attention to we're going to have an accompanying podcast for that feature in December. Uh, and, and also, uh, one thing that Retro Encounter has done every year since I believe 2015. Um, we're going to have a year-end episode, which is uh, one, usually one of our least retro episodes of Retro Encounter in any given year, um, to talk about the year of RPGs. So uh, please look forward to more Bloodborne, some Dragon Age, some Lunar, and a year-in-review episode, all in the next five or six weeks. But uh, listeners, 
if you want to reach out to us as a podcast to tell us about ask about our podcast topics or bloodborne or lunar or dragon age oranges or what games should be our game of the year the best way to do so is to email retro at rpgfan.com rpg fan is also on facebook twitter instagram i'm not going to call the damn thing x uh threads discord youtube twitch probably other places i'm forgetting always as rpg fan or rpg fan com you can interact with us in any way that you choose um another great way to interact with rpg fan is the rpg fan uh shop which is rpgfan.com slash shop a shop hosted by t public where you can get rpg fan merch like shirts baby onesies coffee mugs phone cases and other things uh all emblazoned with the rpg fan emerald shield with some uh, nice 25th anniversary merch um on that shop as well that i i I just got a a second rpg fan shirt in the mail because i wanted one of those snazzy 25th anniversary designs uh but re- uh, also, Retro Encounter is not the only podcast in RPG Fan. Um, the RPG Fan Podcast Network, as it were, also includes Random Encounter every two weeks about art about current RPGs and randomness, and Rhythm Encounter every other other two weeks, uh, which is about RPG music. You can enjoy Retro, Random, and Rhythm Encounter on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, iTunes, however you um, listen to podcasts. Please provide feedback uh, as much as you're willing to provide, especially if it's five stars out of five. But before we uh, sign off on this episode, um, let's tell the listeners how they can reach out to us as individuals and not as a website or a podcast, uh, starting with you, Zach. Uh, you can email me, ZachW at RPGFan.com. You can also find me on RPG Fans Discord at ZachW. Zach, you are my second favorite teacher of this month after only Father Gascoigne. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Now, Gio. Yeah, uh, you can find me on Discord. I go by Geo there. And also, uh, you can email me at geo at rpgfan.com. Now, Alex. You can email me at alexfranicek at gmail.com. And listeners, um, I'm my social media presence is changing and evolving because I'm trying to divest myself of that cesspool uh, formerly known as Twitter. But I am still there. You can find me um, on Twitter at The Real Monsoon most of the time. And on Instagram and Blue Sky, I am at Evoker for Dogs. Uh, but, you know, I-, I think I just need to end this podcast and get back to um, collecting some blood echoes. So thank you, good hunters. Good night and good luck. Good luck.